0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Good evening. Good evening. The reading is taken from Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 to chapter 4, verse 1. And it can be found on page 1180 in the Church Bibles. Page 1180. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus." All of us then, who are mature, should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you, only let us live up to what we have re- what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For, as I have often told you before, and I'll tell you again, even with tears, like his glorious body therefore my brothers and sisters you whom i love and long for my joy and my crown stand firm in the lord
1: in this way dear friends yeah have a seat good evening everyone it's good to see you all and we're coming To the end of February now, how are your New Year's resolutions going? Some of us will be internally groaning as I ask that question. Some of you will be internally giving yourself a pat on the back and feeling empowered by another successful month ticked off. I think generally we have mixed feelings when it comes to goals and resolutions. On the one hand, they can speak of good intentions that sound great but in reality, they never get done. So I think to last year, I had a a New Year's resolution to get a 100-day streak on the language learning app Duolingo. Safe to say, I hardly managed to get halfway on that one. On the other hand, I think we recognize that a life without goals is quite meaningless. And actually, we all have them in place in one way or another. It might take the form of a dream for the future, perhaps that we will one day own a good house and build a family. It might be a goal of just getting through the next day or week until we can have a bit of a break from the pressures of work and life. Whatever we think about them, and whether we set goals consciously or not, they do impact how we live in the present. They have the power to energize us and change our perspective on things. So I think again to last year, and as we got to the end of December, my sister Ellie had realized that with a bit of hard work, she could uh, get a daily average of 10,000 steps. And so suddenly, behaviors that previously would have seemed quite ridiculous, like walking laps of the garden, suddenly became perfectly reasonable. We were hearing last week as Pete preached on the first half of Philippians 3 that Paul was pursuing a new goal. Having once pursued a life of sticking as closely as possible to all the religious rules that he could find, he describes in Philippians 3 verse 8 how he considers everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord, for whose sake he has lost all things. He considers them garbage that he may gain Christ. Paul wants to gain Christ. And I think there are two parts to this goal. One is to be with Jesus to see him face to face in the new creation, and the other is to be like Jesus, to live a fully human life to the full where he loves God and loves others and enjoys a life full of fruitful righteousness. What was it about Paul's goal that energized him and changed everything about his present life that got him doing laps of the garden, so to speak? If we're a Christian here today, or someone looking into Christian things, and if we want to know more about Jesus and to draw closer to him, what kind of mindsets do we need? Perhaps you're not really interested at all in Jesus and you've been dragged along. That's okay. I hope as I go along some of the reasons why getting to know Jesus is a great goal of life to have. So what kind of mindset are we looking at here? Paul describes in our passage tonight a mindset with three aspects to it. It's a determined mindset, a modelled mindset, and a future-focused mindset. Let me explain. Firstly, a determined mindset. Paul seems to have a humble yet determined mindset. On the one hand, he stresses that he's not yet living the perfect life of fruit-bearing righteousness that he's aiming for. If you look with me, you'll see in the first half of verse 12, Paul writes, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. And then again, in the first half of verse 13, he says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Paul experienced a tension in his Christian life that he wasn't afraid to write about. He had made it clear in the first half of chapter 3 that, objectively speaking, he was covered with the perfect righteousness, with a perfect righteousness before God, that came from Christ through faith in Christ. Paul knew that when God looked at him, God would see the perfect righteousness of Christ. However, when Paul assessed his subjective experience of his own life, He was able to acknowledge that it wasn't a perfect life yet. He still struggled with sin. He still experienced bodily pain and weakness. He was in chains because the powers that were hated his message. Now is not the time for perfection, which sounds a bit depressing, but is actually very freeing, I think. If we believe that perfection is available in this life, then there'll be a whole host of problems. The temptation will be to look down on the weak and failing if we feel like we're doing quite well, or the temptation will be to despair because we feel like we're weak and failing as we look around at everyone else. Yet a mindset whereby we can honestly acknowledge weakness and failing is surely what would have attracted many of the outcasts and slaves and downtrodden women and children to Christianity in Paul's day. And I wonder if this is a hugely distinctive element of Christianity that attracts and will attract many people today. It's a worldview that won't allow for people to imagine that they've got everything sorted while they look down on the sinful or those who hold different opinions or those who are vulnerable and weak. Some of you will remember David Banting and him speaking about his badge which had the letters, I think, that stood for please be patient with me, I'm a work in progress. A community that shows patience towards others and a willingness to serve others is only made possible in a community that is willing to acknowledge imperfection. Paul was able to humbly acknowledge his own imperfection On the other hand, Paul stresses that his imperfection now doesn't stop him from striving to get closer to his goal of a closer walk with Jesus. If you look down with me at the second half of verse 12, you'll see Paul writes, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And in the second half of verse 13, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal. Paul is determined to know Jesus better and to experience more of the fruitful life that comes from walking closely with him. And so he's active and he's on the front foot in pursuing his goal. As a small picture for you of this kind of mindset, um, two of my housemates are getting married to their respective fiancés uh, this summer. Dan knows that he'll spend the rest of his life with Bethan and Phil knows that he'll spend the rest of his life with Katie But even so, while they wait for their wedding day, they still pursue a deeper relationship. They want to know more of what makes each other tick, what things they love and what things they hate, what things they do that please them and what things annoy them. And ultimately, they keep spending time together because it's a joyful thing for them. They enjoy it. It's terrible. I can't wait for them to move out. I'm only joking. I love you really, boys. How much more keen was Paul to know Jesus better? By whatever means possible, he wanted to press on for more joy, more awareness of the width and length and height and depth of the love of Christ, more understanding of how he might serve Christ with however long left he had of his life. For some of us, Paul's experience will feel a long way, from how we feel about Jesus. His description is full of activity and hard work in his pursuit of Christ. But his motivation wasn't something that he drummed up himself. It came from outside his own efforts. This is what we saw at the end of verse 12 where Paul says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And again in verse 14 he writes, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. It has never been the case that a human being has wooed God. There isn't enough Link spray or Wrigley's extra in a million worlds that could woo God. No, we pursue more of him because he first pursued us. He first declared his intentions to love us. He first caught our attention by showing us his trustworthiness. He made the first move to make us his own by offering his hand to us while we were full of shame and self-loathing. He shows us dignity day by day as he calls us to be conformed more and more to reflect his image and he gives us security each day as he promises, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. It's these truths that power the kind of humble yet determined mindset that Paul was living out. Paul then seems to say that this mindset is the kind of mindset that we'll see in mature Christians. Let's look at verses 15 and 16. Paul says, All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. We will all be at different stages of our belief and understanding when it comes to Christian things. Having a mindset where we're willing to accept our failings and where we're single-minded in desiring closeness to God, where we're willing to suffer for the sake of others and for the sake of the gospel, doesn't come naturally to us. Paul is saying that in this situation the best thing is to acknowledge where we are in our faith, Acknowledge the progress that we have made and let God continue to shape our thinking as he has promised to do. There are many means by which God shapes our thinking. Paul knew that one powerful means that God uses is living, breathing examples of wise living that shape our thinking. And that brings us to our next point, a modeled mindset. We're constantly influenced by role models whether it's family members or people on social media and here in our passage Paul highlights two sets of role models urging us to follow one and desperate that we wouldn't follow the other. Firstly himself and those who walk faithfully with Jesus. If you look at verse 17 Paul says join together in following my example brothers and sisters and just as you have us as a model." Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Paul surely had Timothy and Epaphroditus from chapter 2 in mind for the Philippians. Who are the people in your life whose example you can keep your eyes on? Is there someone you know who just has the kind of joy that comes from knowing the love of Jesus? Someone who is honest about their struggles and failings and so as a result is gracious and patient with you when you open up to them someone who happily gives up their time to serve others. These people are precious for us. And then Paul is desperate that the Philippians wouldn't follow the second set of role models. Verses 18 and 19 are sobering words. Paul writes, "'For as I have often told you before, "'and now tell you again, even with tears, "'many live as enemies of the cross of Christ.'" Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Paul wasn't afraid of saying controversial things, but I don't think we could ever describe him as cold and unfeeling. He can't help but cry as he thinks of those who are described as enemies of the cross of Christ. And I suppose he also knew that at one point at one time he had also been in their position. And so also we should remember that these two verses describe us before Christ Jesus took hold of us. There is a means of being saved from the destruction, shame, and futile mindset that Paul describes in these verses. It was this same salvation that transformed his mind and set him on course to love Christ and to want to serve him. And to pursue a life in him. This salvation was achieved at Christ's cross, where the Son of God emptied himself of every inch of power and privilege that he had in order to offer forgiveness and reconciliation to anyone who will receive him. There, our sins were born in his crucified flesh and taken away. In the cross of Christ, there is an offer from God that the enmity between us and him can cease forever. Paul urges us to take up this offer and to follow those who have. He urges us not to fall into line with those who would continue in enmity against God, and he explains why. Paul looks beyond death and sees no hope, only destruction. Without Jesus' righteousness to cover our sin, we will only be able to stand before God with our own righteousness as a means for God to forgive us for all the ways that we've rejected him and transgressed his commands. Jonathan Edwards once described this as hoping that a spider's web might protect us from a falling boulder. Paul looks at what is worshipped, and it's not God, but self. There are many good goals in life, like getting a good job or contributing towards social reforms, but if there are our ultimate goal in life, they are ultimately me-centered, and they have taken God's place. There is an ultimate goal that sets us free from disappointment and self-worship, and an ultimate goal that makes sense of all these other intermediate goals that we might have along the way, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Paul looks at what they are most proud about, and it's shameful. It's a shame when we love the very things that are most self-destructive and displease God. It's a shame even when we're proud about the good things that we might do, all the while not wanting to know the God whose love compels us to love. Lastly, Paul looks at their mindset and sees it set on earthly things. We have all been at one point those with this mindset and if it wasn't for God's pursuit of us we would remain in this mindset. But if we're those who have faith in Jesus it makes no sense to have those who have this kind of mindset as our role models. That's not to say at all that we shouldn't listen to them and that they won't have very helpful and wise things to say or that we shouldn't associate with them but it means The people whose example we really want to follow is those who have walked before us in the pursuit of the greatest goal. In the present, it's a difficult and narrow way, but we see why it's worth it in the next verses. And so Paul lifts our eyes to the future. He writes this in verses 20 to 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. We're a bit like someone working abroad. We're living our lives in a foreign country, but really our passport tells us that we have a proper home to go to. Our home is a spiritual home. It's being found in Christ, as Paul describes it in 3 verse 9. We're most truly at home in Christ. That's where our names are registered in his head and in his heart. But actually, we aren't waiting for a flight out of this country. We're going to the airport to get to the arrivals lounge. Because Jesus has promised to return to earth and to make all things new. He will transform our bodies so that we will have finally arrived at our goal. Our goal of being with him and being like him. This is surely a promise worth setting our minds on. Jesus returning to earth to fulfill a whole host of promises. To banish everything that's wrong with the world completely and to wipe away every tear shed because of those things. To establish a new heavens and a new earth. We love the Peak District, but imagine the Peak District even brighter and even clearer and more fruitful and more eco-diverse and maybe with some actual mountains instead of just hills. But the promise that Paul focuses on here is a new body, transformed to be glorious, like Jesus' resurrection body. And I suppose the question might be, what's so glorious about Jesus' resurrection body? Well, for a start, it's a proper body, a body that eats and walks and hugs. It's a body that still bears the scars of past tragedy, but they're no longer painful or traumatic. But it doesn't stop there. Jesus' body, resurrection body is imperishable, never to fear violence again. His body is powerful, able to smell, touch, taste, see things of the world with a whole new richness. And finally, his is a body with no inclination to sin no battle raging within, just the tranquility and peace of knowing that you've done right today. There's something to draw our eyes towards the goal of being with Christ and like Christ. There's something to meditate on and daydream about that will help us to press on in the meantime. And finally, in chapter four, verse one, Paul says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Here is someone with God's people's best interest at heart, and his advice is to stand firm in having Jesus as the ultimate goal in life. To let the battering that life sends us not knock us sideways, but deeper into the rock So to sum up, how could Paul's life have been so drastically changed from despising Christ to being able to say in Philippians 1 verse 21 that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain? Well, his new goal had changed everything for him. There are many things to set our hopes on and make our goals in life. It's been my experience that while many goals make great promises, they are all too often disappointing, and at the very least, they are time-bound by the end of my life. In no other place is there to be found a hope that promises lasting joy and security than in Christ Jesus. The strapline for the Hope Explored course describes it well as a joyful expectation for the future based on true events in the past which changes everything about my present How good would it be to allow God to shape this, to be our mindset more and more? Let me close with a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the love that you have for us in sending your Son to be a saviour for us. We thank you that you first pursued us and made us your own. Father, we thank you for the joy it is to know him, And we pray that you would fill us with this joy more and more and fill us with motivation um, to know him better day by day. In his name, Amen. amen. Well, we're going to share communion in just a moment, but before we do that, the band's going to come up and we're going to sing...